Welcome to Bound for Justice, your weekly podcast that explores race, reconciliation, and social justice, one book at a time. Join us for a candid discussion about taking steps to create change in our lives and the communities we live in. And now your hosts, Rachel Rosman and Charlotte Wilson. All right, so welcome to another week of the podcast. I'm Charlotte Wilson. I'm Rachel Rosman. And I'm Sharissa Foley. Well, welcome, Sharissa. Well, thank you for having me. So you guys heard a little bit from Sharissa in earlier podcasts, and she's going to be joining us at least for the next couple of shows. So we're really glad to have her along for the conversation. And I'm sure perhaps some of you who have been following the podcast may have noticed that we've had a bit of a lull in our our, uh, publishing uh, schedule. It's, you know, it's summertime. And, you know, as you know, we're relatively new to the podcasting scene. We're still getting our our wits about us and learning a lot about podcasting, which means that sometimes we learn along the way and have to redo things. So we're just taking a little bit of a break and following more of a summer schedule. But um, we have uh, three podcasts lined up for you for the upcoming week. So definitely more to come um, from us. And, you know, since it is summertime, I know we've all been traveling. Rachel, you recently took a trip to California, right? I did. It was wonderful. I went to Oakland for, it was really quick, just for three days. A friend had a, a gathering, a soiree, let's say. And um, it was it was great. I, I can't wait to go back. Have you been there before? I had not. I was terrified about flying. I'm terrified of flying. And how did it go? It went it went well. I was nervous on the way out, but then I felt like a professional on the way back. Um, so I was like, oh, I don't even need to take Dramamine, but I <laughs> just in case. I was nervous about being motion sick, and um, I was a little anxious. Well, traveling can always be a little stressful. Yeah, and the way back was significantly worse than the way there, so I was really proud of myself. I think I even texted people like, I was so brave. <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> Thanks. So this week, we are discussing the book, How to Talk About Race, written by Ijoma Aluo. And this book was published in January of 2018. It's about 256 pages long, and the way that she's written the book, she actually has it organized into 17 different chapters, and in each chapter of the book, she centers the conversation around a question um, that someone might have um, or might be presented with when they're talking about race, and so basically she's tackling each of these common questions um, in a chapter of the book and providing sort of her perspective and perhaps um, things for other people to think about um, if they're interested in having a meaningful conversation about race. Um, so, for example, um, the opening chapter of the book, the question that she addresses is, is it really about race? And she, you know, addresses simple things like, what is racism? You know, what does it actually mean when you say you're being racist? And, and then other things, too, around affirmative action and even the uh, myth of the model minority. Um, so I, I thought this book in particular was a really easy book to read. Um, I like the way that it was kind of modular and that you could sort of, you could, you didn't necessarily have to read the book from beginning to end. You could go in and sort of grab chapters from the book if there was a particular question that perhaps you were struggling with and you really wanted to dig into. I really liked at the end of each chapter how they gave you, she gave you actual things to do or here's how you can solve this problem. Here's how you can work through this problem. Yeah. I like that too, Rachel. And I also um, liked the fact that it was easy to listen to as an audiobook. I did, I read a little bit of it, but I also listened to mainly the audiobook and um, I like the narrator and it was, it was good content to listen to in the car. You could still grasp it. Um, so it was enjoyable to listen to for all you audiobook people out there. Yes. 
Um, and I think in general, Uluo's writing, she's tackling really tough topics that are sometimes hard to talk about. But I think she did a really good job of interspersing some humor and sharing a lot about herself and her experiences along the way, which always makes it a little bit more fun when you're trying to address something that's, you know, kind of challenging. And then she also made it seem very relatable. Like she, was, she would talk about like parenting and um, how she was raising her kids. And I think when I was reading it, there was so much that I couldn't relate to, but it was still like I don't have a black male son. <laughs> but I, it was um, as a parent, I was like, oh yeah, I can imagine that being an issue, or yeah, that's yeah. something I deal with too. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. she definitely was vulnerable in her in her writing, which you know that makes for a really good read. Yes, definitely um, more gratifying to read a book where someone's really open. Um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you to in chapter three, you know, the question that she addresses in that chapter is what if I talk about race wrong, which I think is definitely a concern that a lot of people have. I assume people that are in the majority, white people have this concern more than others. But I think it's probably a, a concern that everybody has in terms of figuring out, regardless of, of which side of the conversation you're on, how do you really have a meaningful conversation about race? And she talked about um, her white mother. So Iluo is biracial. Her mom is white. And as an adult woman, she and her mom had this very meaningful conversation about race. Um, Iluo says nobody likes to discuss race with their mom, which I'm not sure if I 100% agree with that. I think I might have a slightly different perspective. But she talks about having an eye-opening conversation with her white mom that actually helped her mom shift her focus from showing black people that she's down. Um, and instead, she's changing her perspective to understand that it's really her job to pressure other white people to do better and to be stronger advocates for racial equality. So I'm just kind of curious between the two of you, have you guys ever had any awkward conversations about race? And um, you, do you avoid them? Do you invite them? What's your sort of your experience? I think with me, I... I had talked to somebody after we started doing the podcast. I had talked to a friend about how I was nervous that I was going to say something wrong or or just not educated, I guess. And I think I would want to be called out. I would want to be called out because I want people to kind of correct me in my ways. And a friend of mine, when I was talking to her about it, she said, there's always going to be somebody that's going to be offended or mad about what you say. And so you really have to just say what you what you need or what you think you should say. And then if you get corrected, that's that's okay as long as it's constructive and you can move it. But not everybody's always going to be happy with how you express yourself. Um, but I think that there are. I've had. I've definitely had awkward conversations where I've said something, and then somebody has called me out or given me their perspective, and I've been, oh, yeah, good point. Mm -hmm. The other thing I do is I think back to previous conversations I've had and been like, oh my gosh, I was the worst. Like, like I didn't even realize things that I was saying before. So. There's that. I tend to avoid awkward conversations <laughs> at all costs. So that's something that I have to work on. You know, just conflict in general is not something that I don't think anybody really uh, enjoys. But uh, I tend to shy away from those kinds of conversations. However, um, I think the level of your relationship with somebody kind of, for at least for me, dictates you know, how willing I am to have those awkward conversations. And, you know, the closer my relationship is with somebody, the more I'm willing to to step out there and take a risk and having those those tough topics to talk about. And 
you know, um, Alul, she had that tough conversation with her mom and it had a really positive outcome. So just that example that she provided gives me kind of a little bit of encouragement that, you know, even though it's tough and it's awkward and, you know, might be something that you'd want to run from on the other side of it could be something really great. Yeah, so that's true. And I think it depends on the environment, too. You know, is are you having a conversation in a work environment? Is this a social situation with a family member? Like you said, Sharisa, the, probably the nature or the context of the relationship makes a big difference in terms of how that awkward conversation might go. I was talking to a coworker recently, and she's white, and she was relaying um, an experience that she had actually with another family member who's also white, um, but this particular family member was perhaps maybe a little bit more socially aware. She understood the lingo. She knew, you know, what the key phrases were and exactly how to say things. And my friend was expressing her frustration because she was genuinely trying to understand certain things and have a meaningful conversation, but she didn't necessarily always have the right terminology or she didn't, she wasn't phrasing things and perhaps the way that's most appropriate and most politically correct. And she felt like she was being so corrected about the inaccuracy of her language that it created a barrier towards actual understanding. I think when you're talking to somebody like that, you have to keep in mind that maybe they're not talking to have a conversation with you, but they're talking to, you know, like to be pretentious or to, you know, be to show how much they know, as opposed to really, truly trying to connect yeah. with you. Yeah, it's more like when they say, um, listen to understand, not don't listen to respond, mm. sort of, or listen to just answer a question or make a comment. Because I've been in situations like that, too. And you do just shut down in the conversation, like, okay, that's how this is going to go. I'm, I'm done here. Yeah. The conversation that she had with her mom, though, it, it was really about educating her mom because her mom had no idea. And her mom put herself in the place of, well, I understand what it's like to be black because I have black kids. That was really how she thought about it. And, you know, um, Alul had to say, time out, hold on a second. And she really took the time to educate her mom. And so that made their conversation more meaningful and, you know, a good outcome. So, you know, in those in those situations, hopefully... You know, when you're having those uh, tough conversations, you can't educate in a way that um, others can receive it. And being white, I think that I can try to learn a lot and we can read all the books and understand this and have these conversations. But I will never have that full experience or that full understanding. And I think that some people try to overstep that bound, maybe, or that boundary and, and be like, well, I understand this and this. And, you know, I basically understand the entire black community, which is not accurate, like no matter what. I, that person doesn't have that history regardless of where they grew up or whatever. Um, a friend of mine always says when when you walk into a room, people aren't judging you already if you're like the white girl. Whereas mm -hmm. if he walks into a room as a black male, people are making their assumptions. And mm -hmm. so, so as a white person, you have to make sure that you do kind of stay in your lane, I guess. Good point. So one of the other questions that she tackles in another chapter is the question, why am I always being told to check my privilege? So, and in this particular chapter, she talks about not just racial privilege, but lots of other privileges that you, you may experience in life, whether that's educational privilege because you have a certain degree, economic privilege, um, of course, racial privilege, um, and then, of course, uh, privilege according to your gender as well. 
And I found this chapter, of course, particularly meaningful as well, um, only because she, I think she really calls out and challenges everyone to really be aware of all the different ways that you might be experiencing privilege in your life that you might really be unaware of. And I'm kind of curious to know, after having read that chapter, did did you guys have any more thoughts or did it kind of cause you to think a little bit more about your privilege, whether it was racial privilege um, or other areas in your life where you may experience privilege that other people don't have? I think um, one thing that comes to my mind is having both parents present, you know, growing up. I think that is a huge advantage and that's a privilege. I think a lot of people probably don't see that, you know, labeled as a privilege, but it really is in a lot of ways. Mm. So that was one thing that I, you know, when I was thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, you know, that's, I can see that labeled as having a privilege Mm. for sure. I always feel that being just born middle class put me at such a privilege because I already was so far ahead of so many other people, like Mm. with doing nothing at all, like just being born to where now when I'm having troubles, I think I have, I'm having a little bit of trouble right now. You know, I'm, I'm not, being where I want to be or having the finances that I want, but I'm still so far ahead from where I, because I started so far ahead. Mm. So I don't have that. I'm not at that base where people aren't making it forever or like constantly struggling and getting caught up. Like, so I think that that was, that's always what I think about. So she mentioned um, the educational privilege and this is one that, so in the, in that chapter, she talks about the fact that she has a degree um, and I think her degree is in political science, maybe. Um, and she's she's held a number of jobs not really related to using her degree, but the fact that she actually has a bachelor's degree, regardless of what the degree is in, has placed her at an area or at a position of advantage over other people in the organizations that she has worked within um, and notes that there are perhaps other people with more actual relevant work experience that were excluded for positions. Um, and I don't remember if we've talked about this before, but I, I did have an experience like this at work where, um, you know, we were looking for a certain position. And, you know, one of the requirements was that you that you have a bachelor's degree. And we actually found a candidate that was amazing, excellent many years of experience, would have been a great fit culturally. Um, that person did not have a bachelor's degree, so we, we could not hire them. Um, and that's really, I think that was one of the, the experiences for me that really hit home how um, sometimes we, that privilege really does exclude some of the very best people from stepping into to roles that they would be excellent at. I think with having a master's degree, I often use it I'm kind of the opposite. Like when people say stuff, I'm like, well, I have a master's degree. Like, don't come at me like that because I'm not, I'm not dumb. I have a master's degree. Whereas, you know, I've been some PhDs that are hmm. right. Like (laughs) I know, I know stuff about one topic, (laughs) you know, I've got a master's degree and um, I was, somebody had made me upset or hurt my feelings about something a while ago. And I said, I've got a master's degree. They don't need to talk to me that way. So I think I'm the person that kind of uses that uses that privilege more than I should. Um, and my person said, you don't have a master's degree in anything that was going on in that situation, <laughs> though. So, which is, an, you know, a good point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think something that, um, I don't know if we've talked about it um, on the podcast at all or not in the past, but sometimes the, something that was presented to me a couple of, I don't know, it was probably a month or two ago, is the idea of a black person who presents as white. So maybe someone who 
sounds white. So you could say, I sound white. I don't talk black. I'm black. Look at me, I'm black. Um, but <laughs> when you but when you hear me, you might not recognize that. Um, and I know there's there's also definitely been a lot of conversation about colorism. So if you're lighter skinned, if you have more um, European features versus um, traditional um, African features, how does that affect the way that people perceive you? And is that is that a privilege? I'd, I'd say, yeah. I mean, I can relate to that, you know, talking white, sounding white, you know, when people talk with you over the phone, you know, they get a completely different perception of you than when they meet you in person. And, um, you know, depending on who it is, they, they might accept you more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the uh, um, being light skinned, you know, it's, you know, you're not it's perceived as, well, you're not super black, so you're okay. <laughs> so, you <laughs> you're know. not as scary. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you're not as much of, you're, you're not as threatening. And, and, you know, I don't know what that's all about, but it's, it's definitely a thing. And that's, I think that's even a thing within the black community. Like when I talk to people, oh, yeah. somebody will say, well, they're, they're black, black. And I'm like, <laughs> Okay, because um, I'm usually really, or I'm white white. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, I'm I'm white white. Like I'm, su- I always say that too. I'm super white. Um, but then, and people always say light skin. Like, oh, it's the light the light skin guy. Which I've just recently realized that it was a light skinned like black individual. I kept thinking it was a white person whenever they're like, you know, the light skin guy. And I was like, oh yeah, the white guy and. No, not at all. So I don't catch on fast. But um, but yeah, it's always a big thing, like the light skin and in, within the culture, even. I've, I've heard that that's a, a pretty predominant. It's a thing. It's yeah. a thing. It's yeah. definitely a thing. Well, and I mean, it's that I think goes back to the idea of good hair and bad hair. Yep. And if your hair is extra kinky um, versus maybe a little bit more straight or a looser curl that there's, that there's some sort of judgment on the quality of who you are, your beauty based upon your curl pattern. Um, which she talks about a little bit in another chapter in the book, um, you know, why can't I touch your hair? Um, and, and we're not going to go into that a lot here, but I certainly think that there, that's another place where people are, you know, judging you based upon your looks and um, I know I normally wear my hair in naturally curly. That's my preference. It's been my preference for the most part for the past 20, 25 years. But there have certainly been instances where I've, I've worn my hair straight and I've worn my hair straight to work. And then all of a sudden, everybody wants to tell me how nice I look. And to me, I take offense to that. I'm like, what's wrong with my curly hair? That doesn't look nice. I have a problem with that. That's people in general, because I've had my hair straightened before. My hairstylist used to always want to straighten my hair, and it took forever, and I don't like it because it doesn't fit my personality. Plus, when my hair is straightened, it's just like straw. Like, it's not this long, flowing hair that... Yeah, because it's meant to be curly. Right. Like, yeah. I always imagine that I'm going to turn my head, and like my hair is going to fall across my shoulder and then back, and that's not the way it is at all. <laughs> and so then... People now, because I always wear it curly or back in a ponytail, they're like, have you ever straightened your hair? Have you ever tried to straighten it? Yes. And I'm not going to do it again. Like, <laughs> like, and I'll be like, why would I damage my hair? Like, I'm so, so concerned about it. But, but yeah, people in general don't like curly hair, which I think is. I could remember, I don't know if you guys had this experience, but I can remember maybe about fourth or fifth grade because I had my hair in like a curly afro as a kid. 
for the most part until I got a little older, I would like I could I would daydream about getting my hair straightened and what it was gonna look like. And then, you know, like that was it was sort of like the, the Pinterest fails, you know, like you're you have this idea in your <laughs> yeah. head of what it's gonna look like and then it actually happens and no. It's your hair doesn't move. It's yeah. you're gonna run your hands through it yeah. and it's gonna be so great. Yeah, I always had those those dreams as well. Or you'd spend like forty minutes on your hair and then you'd walk to school and it was racked. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Those are the worst days when you worked so hard and you're like, Oh, that was for nothing. Yeah. That's my hair. I have. I always leave the house with it wet because I can't blow dry it. And so whenever I leave, I'm just like, wonder how this is going to go. Like, <laughs> wonder what it'll look like when I get to work. And then I'll go and use the restroom or something where there's a mirror. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> so, well, so I pretty much exciting. just assume if I'm going to if I'm going to let my hair air dry, I have to go. You know, there's a moment where you're going into the bathroom at work, you know, mid morning and you got to get your pick out and you got to like finish shaping it out. Right. And yeah. I used to it used to make me feel uncomfortable if like other people came into the bathroom. But now I'm like, hey, y'all need to just need to know how it works. Like, yeah, <laughs> your little yep. tutorial. <laughs> there are definitely different stages of styling when it comes to curly hair. You know, you leave the house super wet and you kind of plump it on your way. And then, you know, in the mid-morning, like you were talking about, there's definitely stages, which is probably more than what you guys really want to know about curly hair. But, right. you know, it's there's, there's yeah. three experts here. If you ever need any additional information, just let us know. Okay, so in one of the later chapters of the book, Eluo poses the question, I just got called racist. What do I do now? Um, And she talks about the fact that, you know, people are so scared of being called racist. They're really scared of being affiliated with anybody who's racist um, or being called out on having said something that's racist. Um, There's definitely a a lot of denial. And she shares, I think she recounts a story from um, maybe one of George W. Bush's, I think it was a a memoir that he had written where he he, um, talked about being called racist by Kanye West because of Katrina. And how that was a low point in his presidency that he got called racist. Um, and she shares another story of, um, I think, maybe someone who was Canadian on Twitter who told her she should come to Canada because there are no racists in Canada. And that turned into a big mm-hmm. um, debacle after she kind of shot it, shout him down on, um, on that whole idea. But um, and this kind of goes back to the original question we, we talked about a few minutes ago. But I'm wondering, have you guys ever confronted anybody about their racist comments or actions? Um, and if so, how did it go? And if not, why not? Um, I, I actually have had one situation uh, where I did uh, attempt to speak with somebody. Um, and this goes back to, again, you know, I'm a low risk kind of a person. So I felt like my relationship with this person warranted, you know, a conversation about some things that um, were posted on social media that were mm. quite troubling and disturbing to me. And so I took the approach that I just wanted to truly understand where you are coming from. I really wanted to understand their viewpoint and why they were posting some of the things that they were posting. And I wanted the opportunity to share how that made me feel, you know, as our relationship went, you would think that they wouldn't want to do anything that would um, be offensive or hurtful to me. And so when I, I attempted to have this conversation and completely got ghosted, the person Mm -hmm. didn't reply and, um, it was really hurtful and I've not spoken to that person since. And so, um, and what was your relationship like before that? It, it was fine. Uh, it, it, you know, I felt like we were very close, very close. You know, we would refer to each other as best friends, things of that. And, you know, we were very close, very good friends and it just completely 
this person didn't live near me so that, you know, there was some distance involved there. But um, it was it was quite troubling. But I tried. And sometimes you just have to let those people go. And hopefully maybe somebody will come along later. Um, So it didn't go the way that I wanted to. But it wouldn't um, keep me from doing it again Mm. if it was necessary. I don't know. What about you, Rachel? I definitely determine if I'm going to say anything based on the the audience, because sometimes you know it's kind of a lost cause. Like if I say something, I might I might say something, and then it's going to get me all worked up and upset about this conversation, and they're still not going to change what their views are or what they're saying. But I have called people out where they'll say something, and I will be like, oh, you know that that is not actually true, or that's not really <laughs> something that happens, and you can't say things like that. And so I've done that before. But then it's been pretty low key. Like you can't say that because this isn't accurate. And actually, what the person was talking about is this. And I think in the news we have a a lot of chances to do that, where people um, will have a certain issue with something that they've seen on the news, and I'd be like, well, actually, that's being distorted. Here's what the real issue is, and here's why you know that's a problem, or that's really something that is an issue, and it's not a racism thing, or. Or you can't say racist things like that because it doesn't apply. I think some people are just genuinely unaware. I mean, I think we've and and she Luo makes a point of that in this chapter in the book. She's like, look, if you live in America, we live in a racist society. You've been exposed to a lot of junk. And whether you intended it or not, you've absorbed some things. And that that at some point is going to come out. Um, and so just kind of know that you're going to have something that you're going to have to work through. Don't be surprised if something racist actually comes out, you know. And, and I think her point was when you clutch your purse, when that black guy walks by, stop and ask yourself what's going on here and kind of force yourself to maybe address that. You know, don't don't just stuff it, but be willing to be uncomfortable with a sort of maybe digging a little bit deeper behind, you know, what's going on here. That self-reflection is really key. And, you know, the person I was referring to earlier, I thought that maybe they were at that level and they just weren't yet. And so um, I decided to take how I was responding to what they were saying and and try to, you know, do that self-reflection and and try to get something positive out of it. But, you know, it's it's really up to the individual to really dig in and and see where they are at on things, even even us, for sure. And have you ever noticed... If you have somebody that you really like, they really don't mean to say something racist. And so you kind of feel like you have to put kid gloves on. Like, I don't want to sound condescending or I don't want to really make them uncomfortable with the situation. But I feel like I should say something because I don't think they really meant to say Mm. it that way. Mm -hmm. So have you guys noticed my kids do this? Like they'll all the time, like if they hear something that sounds like maybe not quite right, they're like, oh, that's racist. Oh, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) I was just having this conversation. (laughs) Yeah, they all do it. And I don't remember doing that growing up. I don't remember that being sort of a thing where you, like kids called out other kids for saying things that did that weren't that sounded and maybe they weren't outright racist, but maybe they were maybe a little uneducated or insensitive. Um, but I feel like I I see my girls doing that. Yeah, and I think that maybe it's because just as times have changed people are more aware of things that are racist. Like in the past, it might have been racist, but it was accepted. Like that was just the way it was. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now people are like, eh, you, you can't really say that. And quite honestly, I came from a smaller town. So one, we weren't presented with racism as 
much in the sense that it was never challenged. Like we didn't have a lot of people around. I get not not that we weren't presented with racism. Nobody would have called us out really because there wasn't any diversity. Mm. Um, but now in a in our environment now, my daughter's around a lot more kids who are different and um, who. So she's more exposed to things that might be considered racist and mm-hmm. kids calling them out on that. Well, I think even the idea that there, even if it's, even if that statement ends in a question mark, that's racist or is that racist? I mean, even sort of, like you said, sort of having that self-reflection and being willing to question and ask, I think is, to me, that's a bright, that's a bright spot. And it makes me, gives me a little bit of hope. And it's definitely a good opportunity to have a conversation with your kids. You know, yes. I mean, that it opens the door if they're saying, oh, that's racist. Well, hey, let's talk about that. Why? Why do you think that that's racist? And let's let's have a discussion about it. And I think in general, kids nowadays deal with so much more than we did growing up. And I just think that they're exposed to so much and deal with a lot of things, at least maybe just because I was sheltered as a kid, but <laughs> I feel like my kids deal with way more than what I did when I was their age. And so I think that that generality just kind of falls falls into this too, so. I would agree. All right, so um, good conversation around the book. Um, I would definitely recommend this book. I um, Of all the books that we've read so far, I think this is one that's very approachable. It's easily digestible. And it's definitely, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, it's definitely one that's probably worth buying um, an actual physical copy and holding it, holding on to it. You could almost treat it like a reference tool. You know, you could pick up a chapter, read a chapter, maybe put it down, come back to it later. I would say maybe, especially if you're relatively new to conversations around race, this might be a really great book to start with for that very reason, because you can sort of work your way through it at a pace that is comfortable to you as you become you know, more familiar with, you know, race topics. And I think I would, like you said earlier, when you can jump around in it, like I know I had, um, there's a part of intersectionality that I was not sure about before I started the book. And then microaggressions was another one where I was like, oh, they've got a whole chapter on this. Perfect. And so it's a great book to really reference or refer back to as well. And I think, Rachel, you had mentioned like at the end of each chapter, like it gives like, like a step-by-step guide or, um, which is really helpful into, um, giving you practical ways to apply the information. So I really, really like that too. You know, one of the things that we talked about in terms of our intent for starting this podcast was not only creating a conversation and really providing an opportunity for a lot of self-reflection and sharing that back with other people and inviting you you along with us through this journey, but we really wanted to create opportunities and present opportunities for Um, taking action. So we talked in the book about how Aluo concludes each chapter with opportunities for taking action and sort of putting um, what you've learned in the book into action. And so we want to make sure that that's an ongoing part of every podcast going forward. And and this week, um, Sharice is bringing us our taking action item. So have either of you heard of uh, a MOOC or do you know what a MOOC is? Have you heard of that? I, I have not. You have not. I actually heard this phrase several years ago um, during a meeting at work. But a MOOC is basically a, a course of study that's made available on the Internet, and it's free of charge. Um, Wait, is MOOC an acronym? Yeah, I was going to ask that just now. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Is it? What is it? An- Massive Online Open Course. Oh, thank you. I didn't know that. M-O-O-C. <laughs> so a MOOC 
a massive online open course. Um, it's made available um, to a large number of people. And um, if you decide you want to take a MOOC, you can simply log in to a website and you have access to it. I think there are some MOOCs that if you want to get a certificate, there might be a small fee, but that's certainly optional. But so for taking action, I would like to challenge you all to maybe take a MOOC or find one that maybe you can start um, around uh, race and culture and conversations. There's a really cool resource online um, at whitesforracialequality.org, and they have a list of a lot of free online courses, um, MOOCs, that are related to race and racism and social justice. Um, there's one in particular that I'm interested in taking, and I actually did sign up for it. I haven't started it yet, um, but it's called Race and Cultural Diversity in American Life and History, and it's provided from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And so I thought that looked really good, and it would give me a, a little bit more tools and information to to have conversations regarding race and racism with those that I encounter. So if you want to have a better understanding of race and culture, Culture, um, this is a good opportunity, and it's a great way to better equip you to have those conversations um, and, and do the same thing that Ijoma did with her mother. I think this is a great idea, um, and we'll certainly include um, the link to Whites for Racial Equality and um, some of those online courses in our show notes for this week. And we would definitely love to hear your feedback. If you take a MOOC or if you find a resource, maybe that's that's uh, worth sharing, um, please let us know. You can uh, contact us on our Facebook page. You can uh, send us an email or you could even send us a good old fashioned voicemail. So we'll give you all that information so that um, you can contact us. We would love to hear from you all. Our second um, sort of change to the podcast for this week that we're introducing for the first time is a new section called In the News. And uh, much like taking action, you know, there are, we want to make sure that we're creating opportunities for not only taking action, but I think as we've started down our journey towards, you know, building a better conversation around race and creating understanding as you're sort of uh, focused on those things in your personal life, you start to notice a lot more in the news. Um, I think near today it's nearly inescapable um, conversations about race um, issues. Definitely of, today, <laughs> yeah. like definitely this week, today, or yeah, this week yeah. Has yeah. Been pretty, yeah, eighteen months. <laughs> um, yes. So uh, I think one of, one of the things we want to do is sort of um, continue to create that awareness and, and again sort of reflect and have conversation around the things that we're seeing in the news related to race issues. Um, right now in the news, it's. I'm not even going to bring it up, really, because there's so much there are so many race issues right now just within the past couple of days. And it's way too intense. Right. I think so. Like so I'm too soon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I'm not ready to to really to really go into it. Um, so I did more of a lighthearted racist story. <laughs> oh, Does that exist? Sometimes you need to laugh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Before you cry. Yeah. <laughs> because they're were some points that I wanted to bring up about it. Uh, I think I was on Facebook or something, something really worthwhile. Um, like something, something where you get all your good news from because it's quality. Yes. Yeah, it's all true. Um, and it had a person who had a Trump themed wedding and she had apparently a wet, regular wedding dress initially for the ceremony and then changed into a dr dress that said make America great again on the front and then Trump on the back. And she was talking about how she got a lot of negative feedback from that and 
people said it was racist. And she made a comment like, I'm the granddaughter of a Filipino immigrant and my husband's black. And I just wanted to kind of point out that those are not the same. Like you can be racist and have a black husband. And I think people make that assumption a lot. And even um, not that she was racist, but in the book that we read, the author says that her mom had made a comment like, I'm not racist. I have I have, you know, biracial children and you you can have biracial children. You can have a, a black spouse, but you still can say things that aren't necessarily good or correct or, you know, you don't acceptable. get a free pass. Yeah, you you don't just because you're married to somebody doesn't mean that you're automatically not racist. You still have to check yourself and make sure that you're saying you know, appropriate things. Mm -hmm. So that was my big, big take home from that message. And I think she also had made a comment like, you know, people are giving us a lot of bad publicity because, you know, just because I'm a Trump supporter, you know, they think that all Trump supporters are a certain way and like making that stereotype. And, you know, that's not true. We're all like this. But like you had a Trump themed wedding. So don't act like you're not all like, like it's I mean, that's pretty intense. Like you like that's a you were at a church with Donald Trump written on your dress. <laughs> so you're pretty intense. Um, so don't make don't make comments like that, I guess. That's my thought. That was so that's my in the news for today. And it probably won't always be that uh, maybe lighthearted. But but I thought it would be a it, nice was, break. it was good to get started with something like yeah, that. Thanks. Yeah. thanks, <laughs> Thank Rachel. <you. laughs> thanks. I try. I try. You're giving us a little chuckle. Well, that's the show for this week. And um, just to give you guys a little bit of a preview for our next two upcoming episodes, uh, we're going to take a bit of a diversion um, for our next two episodes. Instead of covering a book, we're actually going to cover a Netflix limited series. Um, If you haven't already, I highly encourage you to check out When They See Us, which is a four-part series um, directed by Ava DuVernay that's on Netflix, produced executive produced by Oprah. We're going to spend the next two episodes talking about um, that series and reflecting on what we learned um, through the show. So thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to Bound for Justice. Join us next week for another conversation about creating change in our lives and the communities we live in. 